We live in a world that is in love with being in love. Uh, We've been told our whole lives that perhaps the primary aim of our early years is to run, run, run until you find the one. But today we're talking about singleness. But the world that we live in is not built for single people. We've all heard that old song, one is the loneliest number. When's the last time you watched a game show and you saw somebody win an all expenses paid trip for one? Doesn't happen, does it? When's the last time you watched a Disney movie where the prince, uh, charming and princess broke up and they lived happily ever after apart from each other? Doesn't happen, does it? Because life is complicated when you're riding solo in a world that's built for two. And yet, 45% of American adults are unmarried. That's a massive amount of single people in our country. And yet most of the time, the world still sees singleness as a problem to be fixed rather than a gift to be used. Open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Many of you here today are single. Uh, Some of you have never married and some of you have been married, but for one reason or another, your marriage is now over. And this sermon is for you. But it's also for the rest of us, too, because the rest of us who may be in a relationship, uh, we've had lots of sermons preached to us, and the single people have had to sit through a lot of sermons on marriage, so we owe it to them. But also, biblical singleness points all of us to a greater reality. It points all of us to our ultimate fulfillment and contentment, not in any human relationships, but in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because singleness is a gift. Singleness is a gift. Paul says it here in in verse 7 of chapter 7, and then he goes on in verse 8. He says, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. So Paul says singleness is a good thing, and that's, that's a radical thought in Paul's day. You see, nearly all ancient cultures and religions taught that the main way a person achieved significance was by marrying and having children, and those children would take care of you when you were old. They would carry on your name. They would pass along your legacy. And yet then Jesus comes along, and he wrecks that whole paradigm because he comes as a single person and lives a completely fulfilled life. And then Jesus' followers come along, these Christians, and all of a sudden, they start taking care of each other, and they start taking care of the widows and the orphans and the single people. And so now, the social and economic stability that had once been impossible for singles was made possible in the church. And these Christians lived lives that said, you know, our hope and our future is not found in our family. It's found in God. And my worth is not in my spouse but in my relationship with Jesus. So here's the simple fact of the matter. It is not God's will for all Christians to get married. It's just not. And yet the world looks at people who are progressing to a certain age and have not married. They say, oh, what's wrong with them? It's almost like you caught a disease or something. But that's not the Christian viewpoint. In fact, Paul, the guy who writes this text, he was single. And Jesus, the most complete and fulfilled and significant human being who ever lived, never got married, never had sex, never had kids. This means that our worth does not come from our relationships with other people, but from our relationship with God. 
And God is really good to us. He's a good father, and he gives all of his children gifts. He gives everybody gifts, and we find a lot of lists of these gifts in the Bible. So imagine God gives you your gift. It's all wrapped in red with a blue bow on top, and you're excited as you just start to tear that wrapping paper off. Oh, my goodness, I wonder what my gift is going to be. Maybe it's going to be wisdom or faith or hospitality or teaching or evangelism, and you open it up, and it's singleness. (laughs) And you try to be thankful, but it's like when your grandma knitted those Christmas sweaters for you. Oh, Lord, this is really nice. Thanks for thinking of me. I don't remember this being on my wish list. <laughs> and maybe that's you today. Maybe you're living the single life and it's hard. And you see Paul writing here that in verse 7 that singleness is a good gift from God. And you don't know how that could possibly be. Because it sure doesn't feel like it right now. So how can singleness be a gift from God? I got the pleasure of sitting down with two of the single people whom I admire most in the world. They're active members of our church. And they shared with me some of their insights on how to live the single life for the glory of God. This this good gift of singleness. Take a look. Today I have with me two of my very dear friends, John Crawford and Peggy Heilman. Both of them are wonderful, faithful servants of the church who are devoting their lives to living for the glory of God and doing everything that they can to serve him. And both of you are also single. So what I want to do today is just um, process together and and let us hear your hearts of how you have um, worked through and and wrestled with your journey of living as a single person for the glory of God. So John, describe to me um, your journey of wrestling with and coming to terms with your single and what that means to you. Yes, it's it's something that I haven't fully embraced yet. I don't view it as a lifelong journey. I view it as just an article of contentment along with several other facets. Um, contentment is something that Paul tells us in Philippians. It's, it's, it's learned. We, we learn contentment. It is something that we don't just acquire, we don't just get. So as Paul says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 7, I'm actually not sure whether or not I'm called to marriage. But I am called to be faithful. I am called to serve Christ. And that's actually what I want to do. That is my heart's desire. And he provides for me every step of the way. Well, I think it's normal for every woman, every girl growing up to think about being married. I grew up in a happy home. My father and mother were good, uh, loving each other. And with siblings, and it just I just assumed that in time I would soon be married. But I had prayed from the time I became a college person that the Lord would lead me to the right one, and I, so far he hasn't done that. <laughs> my, my friends, uh, single gals in college would say, well, they've just missed a lot of unclean blessings. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't think there's anything in the scripture that says there's a deadline when you should be thinking about marriage. But um, our society has pretty much programs certain ages where if you aren't married by 30, something's wrong or you're too picky or whatever it might be. And um, I just decided the Lord, I had given to the Lord, and if he was had somebody for me, that would be fine. It depends on the setting and the environment. Um, I have a dear friend who's a coworker of mine. I absolutely love him and his wife. They invite me to everything together. I'm the awkward third wheel. They don't yeah. require a, another a couple or a marriage for double dating or anything like that. 
but they always include me. Mm-hmm. And they constantly enforce the idea that I'd be, I'm husband material. Mm-hmm. I'd make a great husband. They love <laughs> the random advice I give them and things like that. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I love them dearly. And, you know, they want to see me get married because they have, a, they have a good marriage and they want to share that with me. So they mean well when they actually say things like this. And um, they, they view me as content already. The biggest opportunity and privilege I've had as being a single is having the undivided heart. You know, it's one of those things where I can I can focus my interests and I can concentrate and I can fill up my calendar without having to compromise time. Yeah. So it, it makes me more flexible in the kingdom. I found a freedom in being single. I'm like kind of like John when you come home at the end of the day, it's your day. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. have your time yeah. to do what you want to. But it also frees me up to do a lot of things that I know that uh, couples, women especially, couldn't do because of family obligations and husbands, biblically principles there. So if I uh, see a need or I see something that I think I can respond to, I'm free to do it. I don't feel like I've ever been particularly tempted to want something that I didn't think was for me to have. Mm -hmm. When I made my commitment to the Lord, I'm your servant, I will do as you lead me. That part of it has never been, a sexual thing has never been a a problem for me. Um, There's a loneliness sometimes uh, when other people go off together and you're kind of standing there. I I think it's a little different for men, fellows. They're often included in activities. Single women are more often left out and uh, not sure why I don't think it's intentional I think it's just an oversight they assume you don't want to be with a couple groups or they you wouldn't enjoy what they're going to do or something but um, I, I don't know I feel fulfilled and I feel like I have all kinds of opportunities it, it is tempting to be selfish at times um, as Peggy said, when we experience pangs of loneliness, which we do, and some, some married couples experience that too, especially when there's misunderstanding, and misunderstanding occurs most frequently in marriage. However, there's, there's a big element of loneliness and singleness too. And loneliness is not to be confused with a cry for being with people, it's a cry for intimacy. It's the need to be intimate and have that fulfilled. And um, selfishness is the counter to that that is the sinful side. It's the sinful indulgence of doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. In another case of mine, it, there's, there's an element of self-righteousness also. And um, I have struggled with that as well, which kind of stems into this idolatry of singleness where I become protective of this gift of mine. I want to keep it because I can become uh, superior in many cases. Um, I went through a period of conviction in 2010 to about 2013 where I was very much so dwelling in a workaholic environment um, by choice. Yeah, and, it was, right. and I was becoming, uh, I was growing through the ranks rapidly. I was getting recognition. It was the fear of man ultimately um, because I was getting all sorts of praise and recognition. I was taking it on myself. I'm not thinking just of singles per se, women and men. But I'm thinking of single mothers, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of divorced yeah. women, I'm thinking of the widows, and just to be more sensitive and aware and uh, reach out yeah. and do something. Say, how about, could I take you to lunch, or what can we do today that would bless you? And yeah. I, I don't like that, call me if you need me. It needs to be a 
definite invitation to do something, I think. The, the only thing I would mention is um, don't alienate a single person because of their singleness. Don't draw attention to it. Treat them as the whole and complete and full person God created them, created them to be to begin with. Jesus is enough. I mean, it's it's self-exclamatory. He really is. At times it may not feel like it, but we're not called to feel. We're called to believe. <laughs> and faith never ever takes a stance on on feelings. Um, it can it can it can coincide with it, but never the sole piece of it. And so when we believe that Jesus is enough, we're actually proclaiming it. We're saying that his his word is enough. His grace is sufficient. Otherwise, we're not. And what does that make us? You know, it, it's one of those areas where we have to fight with that too because we're countercultural. We're called to go against the flow and it is an upstream swim for for singles especially in, in this culture we live in. He gave us the church. Yeah. He knew that we needed <coughs> fellowship. We needed family. We needed to be together. People need people or he wouldn't have created husband and wife. He wouldn't have created families. He wouldn't have said the church is the family of God. So he is enough, yes, in the big picture. He's, he's the Savior, he's my salvation, he's my hope, all of these things. But saying that to a single gal who's in her 50s and has never been married and say, well, Jesus is enough, that, isn't, that doesn't cut it very well on that. And so I think the church, again, the church needs to know, but bottom line, he is enough, and I'm thankful that he is all that he is to us. But... I think the church was designed so that the family of God would belong to one another. Well, wherever you are now, and wherever you're going to be eventually, this is your in the meantime, make it count for something. And then one of my favorite scriptures was from Psalm 147, 7, where it says, Great is the Lord, and He has great understanding. And I can remember one day when I was just, I just was done. I couldn't think of anything. Nobody understands how I feel. And then I read that scripture and I said, yes, someone does. The Lord understands. And there are all those wonderful promises that the Lord will give us to keep us going. So don't, uh, don't give up. Live for the Lord. I would say don't let singleness or marriage be an end all. Don't idolize it. Don't don't pursue that as a means to fulfill contentment because you will not find contentment in either marriage or singleness alone. It is a supplementary piece to our to our joy on this earth, and both have joys, and they they're both extremely hard. They're, they're neither one of them is an easy lifestyle, and contentment takes much discipline. It takes every fruit of the spirit, especially self control if you're single. But nevertheless, God's with you. He provides always. What a powerful testimony. I can't say it any better than they did. So before we go, though, I do want to hit on two more aspects of singleness. And the first one is this, the opportunity of singleness. I want to talk about the opportunity of singleness because Paul says that singles do have great opportunities. Look at what he says in verse 28 here of chapter 7. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. So marriage isn't bad. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What a great way to end our family series together. <laughs> Don't hear that verse in many weddings, do you? <laughs> 
Then he goes on in verses 32 through 35. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned with the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but so that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul's saying here that marriage is not bad. Marriage is a good gift from God. But the simple truth is that serving God becomes more complex and complicated when one becomes two. You may even be married to the most godly person on the planet, and it doesn't matter because your loyalties will be divided. The opportunity of singleness, though, as John mentioned, is undivided devotion to the Lord. Singleness is not a problem to be solved. It is a gift to be used. So don't just do something about your singleness. Do something with it. The world champions singleness and tells us that singleness is this great thing because it's an opportunity to indulge yourself. But from the biblical perspective, we say, no, that the opportunity of singleness is not uh, going on exotic trips or eating whatever you want or late night Netflix binges or waking up at the crack of noon, although those things can be nice. The opportunity of singleness is to serve God and other people at a moment's notice, to say yes to the spontaneous, to go out with that friend to a late night movie, to use your finances more liberally, to have a random phone conversation and take time out of your evening to be with somebody who's hurting. And I could tell you about people I know who've done this. I could tell you about my grandma who used her widow years to give people rides and donate her time. I could tell you about my friend Travis who's right now as a single person using his time uh, to serve at Active Grace. I could tell you about uh, my middle-aged single friend named Paul who took his time and he used it to invest in some teenage punk kid named Luke. I could tell you about John Crawford there on the video who's using his home and lets other people come live with him so that he can influence them for Jesus. Singleness is not a problem to be solved. It is a gift to be used. So use it. That's the opportunity of singleness. Now, the next aspect is the temptation of singleness. The temptation of singleness. Because make no mistake, singleness can be really hard. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you look around and wonder why there's no woman waiting for you at home. Or you feel like you're always the bridesmaid, never the bride. And maybe you wonder why your marriage ended so soon. Maybe you see all your friends falling in love and finding these adoring husbands and having uh, tidy houses and new corning wear and laughing children and you're wondering why it's not coming your way and maybe, maybe, you're tempted, maybe you're tempted to indulge yourself instead of waiting, to find fulfillment and pleasure in selfishness and cheap sex and pornography instead of life-giving Christian community and a relationship with Jesus because that's one of the temptations of singleness. And make no mistake, there are a lot of temptations for every phase of life, but I think the temptation that Paul hits on most here in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 is the sexual temptation that comes with singleness. Look what he says in chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So what do you do if you're single? You worship God through celibacy. No cheers for that one this morning, huh? <laughs> no amens. <laughs> celibacy is not easy. 
What celibacy is, is choosing to stay sexually pure as an act of worship to God. It's saying, here I am, and I want this, but I am denying myself and laying myself down as a living sacrifice of obedience to God. And purity is not easy in the world that we're living in. But it wasn't easy in the world Paul was living in either. He's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. And Corinth, uh, they were the Vegas of their day. It was sin city. Sex was everywhere, readily available, anonymous, and easy. And yet Paul tells them to flee from sexual immorality, to stay pure. How did they do that? Community. It's been said that the Christians shared their tables, but not their beds. So we, as a church, need to share our tables. We need to come alongside each other, to come alongside single people, to generously welcome them into our lives and around our tables, to give them the intimacy that all of us need, the friendship, the Christian community, to give them grace when they fail, to challenge them to live pure and holy lives. That's why we believe so strongly in life groups here in this church. We want to get you plugged into a life group. Because these relationships in here, the church, the family of God, these are the only relationships that last We don't get to take the other ones with us to heaven. The only relationships we'll have in eternity are these relationships in here, in the body of Christ. So let's get started now with Christian community here on earth. But even then, even when you are living in community, chastity is still not easy. So what about today if you're trying to be pure and you try really hard and you genuinely want to serve Jesus in that way but you fail? Over and over and over. Well, Paul has something to say about that in chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. He says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So within marriage, sex is this good and beautiful and healing gift from God. But when taken outside of its proper context, anywhere outside of the marriage bed, sex is 100% destructive. Research actually backs this up. It says that people who are unmarried and living together are 80% more likely to get divorced if they do get married. And if you are unmarried and living with somebody, then you are four times more likely to experience depression and abuse. The research just backs up what we already knew to be true, that the way to full life, true life, joyful life is only found in living according to God's plan. And that's hard, but we as a church, we wanna come alongside you, we wanna walk alongside you in that journey. Come talk to us, because the only way you're gonna find freedom is in living as Jesus designed you to. You can only be free from sin, you can only fight temptation, you can only live a fulfilled and true good life when you come out of hiding. So that's the temptation of singleness, the opportunity, the temptation, and I wanna close with a reminder and a story. First, the reminder, Jesus is enough. Paul writes here in verse 17, he says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. That means that each of us are called to trust that God's best for us is the best for us. So whatever phase of life you are in, single, married, whatever, God is giving you right now an opportunity to learn contentment. Just like Paul did in Philippians chapter four, he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You see, contentment is not just something that single people need to learn, it's something that we all need to learn. 
And contentment for you today, if you're single, that doesn't mean that you can't desire to be married. It doesn't mean that you can't pursue marriage, but it does mean that no matter what happens, you are submitted today to God's will for you, even when you don't know what tomorrow will look like. Because God's ultimate plan is not just to change your circumstances, it's to change you, to mold your heart to love Jesus with everything that you have. Jesus is enough. That's my reminder. Here's my story. Sarah Thabarge is an author and a blogger who also happens to be single, and she wrote this about some of her recent travels. She said, last week I was staying at a hotel when a very handsome gentleman approached me in the lobby. We started chatting. Then he asked if I'd meet him later for dinner. I said, sure. For three magical hours, we sat in a dimly lit restaurant talking about our stories and our families and our occupations. I learned that he was a Marine, spoke fluent French, and was now an investment banker in New York City. He had sophisticated tastes and incredibly good looks. To put it simply, he was my dream man. Except for one thing. He didn't love Jesus. We left the restaurant and took the elevator to the floor our rooms were on, and when we got off the elevator, he gave me a kiss and whispered, come back to my room with me. I knew I needed to be immediately decisive, otherwise the offer would seem more and more tempting. I want to, but I'm not going to, I said firmly. He pulled me close to him. Why, he whispered, his lips resting on my ear. Because, I whispered back, I like you a lot, but I love Jesus more. I kissed him on the cheek, and then I walked away. When I got back to my room, I locked the door, and then I cried. Because sometimes life as a single person is intensely lonely, and waking up next to someone seems like such a comforting thing. Because I keep praying for God to bring me somebody just like that, plus loves Jesus, into my life. And God hasn't, at least not yet. I cried because it would have been so easy, and no one would have known I cried for how easy it is to doubt that God's best really is best. And if he is withholding something, in my case, a husband, it's because he has a plan that's better than mine. And I cried with relief because I would wake up the following morning with confidence and integrity instead of shame and regret. Sitting in a hotel room in a bathrobe watching season seven of The Office alone on a Friday night isn't the stuff rom-coms are made of. And yet, with each choice I make, I'm telling a story. It's not always a glamorous story. It doesn't have nearly as much romance as I'd like. It entails making sacrifices that only God and I know about. It's a hard story to write sometimes, but by God's grace, I hope it's a good one. And if my dreams don't come true, if I never get married, if I never get to write another book, if my name is never up in lights, if my writing doesn't make it to a New York Times list, it'll be enough for me to be known for one simple thing. Sarah Thabarge, the girl who loved Jesus more. Maybe today you're here and you're not feeling seen or valued or wanted or desired or loved. But I'm here to tell you that there is a God who has been pursuing you from all eternity with his relentless love that culminated in the cross of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And maybe today you're wondering if your perfect person is out there. Well, let me tell you, he is. I know him. 
His name is Jesus. And he is the perfect person for you and for me, the one we were made for. He's the only one who will love us perfectly and satisfy us completely. And in case you're thinking that nobody else understands the pain of being rejected, Jesus does. And in case you're thinking that nobody else understands the pain of submitting to God's will, even when your desire is for something else, Jesus does. And in case you're thinking that nobody understands the pain of waiting, Jesus does. Scripture actually tells us that Jesus himself is waiting for his wedding day. The day when we, as his church, his bride, will come be with him forever. So whatever you do, whether married or single, live for that day. Live for that love. If you're single today, I challenge you. Don't just do something about your singleness. Do something with it. If you're single today and sexually active, I challenge you to stop today. Today, if you're living with a romantic partner that you're not married to, I challenge you. It's time to make a decision. It's time to fish or cut bait. If that person loves Jesus with all their heart and you want to spend the rest of your life seeking Jesus with them, marry them. If not, move out. If you're married today, I challenge you to seek out single people and welcome them into your lives and around your tables. Give them a family and a community and a place to call home. And for all of you, I challenge you to put Jesus first in your singleness, to put him first in your marriage, to put him first in your family, to put him first in everything, because a day is coming when we will all stand before the creator God of the universe, and the only relationship that will matter is our relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that on that day, you will be known as a person who loved Jesus more. Will you pray with me? King Jesus, we do love you. We really do. And yet sometimes our actions fall so short of our ideals. We are such fickle beings. We spend our lives chasing what's next. But God, I, pr I pray that you would open our eyes, not just to look at what's next, but to look at what's now. To seize the opportunities that you're giving us to rest in the love of your son that is the only thing that truly satisfies and to learn to be content. We love you, Jesus. In your powerful name we pray.